Green Z. Three times. Three times. <laughs> That's better. Perfecto. How you doing, man? Quarter to four. I'm ready to go. I'm fired up. What are you doing this weekend? Uh, I'm very. I think I'm going to do absolutely nothing tonight. I'm going to treat myself like a professional athlete at the Equinox Gym and go there for two hours. What I do while there is TBD. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, actually, I'm I'm playing squash tonight. Yeah. Playing squash like, at five, not with Russ. You have you know more than one person to play squash. Yeah, you know our buddy, our buddy Mikola. Remember him? Yep. Um, he he's in our league of three now. I am at the basement. Russ is two. No, Russ is three and zero. Nicole is one and one in the two spot, and I'm zero and three because I lost to Nicole yesterday. But I want to get want to get out of the basement. You, you're assembling like the the uh, funniest group of squash players around. It's the shittiest league going, but I think they're. <laughs> you can join. You want to join? Uh, what does that require? Just showing up once so I can beat you and get out of the basement. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. I yeah, can definitely do that. Do that. <laughs> I need to borrow uh, some goggles and a racket for a half hour while you beat beat me up. No goggles. No goggles. And I wear marking shoes. Etiquette is bad. <laughs> nice, buddy. Um, yeah. Did you see what I sent over? I thought maybe we'd talk about brokerage today unless you're absolutely gassed at the end of the week. We can, we can talk about brokerage, man. I'm going to need some really, really pointed questions to just to get it out of my head, though. I, I, I was looking at that email about 10 minutes ago. I was like, oh, really? Too I much? Mean, no, not too we'll much at all. Chicken farms of greater Boston instead if you want. Don't you toy with me. Just a quick detour uh, to hit that briefly before we get into uh, strategic real estate advisors. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe and I went to La Scala and Randolph on Sunday. Wow. What, what a chicken farm. Good to know. Just How's the beautiful. Pizza? I know you got pizza too. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get pizza. I did get a dinner to eat there and a dinner to bring home for a couple of hours later, though. Two separate entrees. Second dinner, Hobbit style. <laughs> yeah. Two dinner guy. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about maybe what's changed for you since you started being a broker in 2008 or nine until today. Uh, Compared Compared against today, that was I really petered out at the end there. Yeah, I think I think um, I think there there hasn't been that much, um, you know, carving out like the past two or three years. There haven't hasn't been much innovation around 
Um, you know, the, the basic blocking and tackling from, uh, you know, like every broker is kind of doing it the same way as it relates to servicing a client and finding space for people that need space. I think that that process is, although it's starting to change and like trust is part of that, I think that that process is is very much the same as it was when I started. I think what has changed a bunch is um, uh, how people are getting business. Um, let's talk. Let's br- pause there for one second. Break that into two pieces. I think we can chase this around a little bit. Um, that's really interesting to me. So, what falls in the bucket of uh, basic blocking and tackling? Uh, well, I, that might have been a misnomer, actually. Um, I, well, it, as it relates to client service, you mean, right? Yeah, or maybe like I just used the term that you said, but if we just call it like the general process of eventually uh, some human being who's a member of a team is going to need a room with four walls to sit down and do work, right? Yeah. Is that a decent starting point? So what – take me yeah. through like the generic – process that I could get expect to receive from a broker, whether it was 10 years ago or today, you know, take yeah. the tech tools out of it. I understand that so, piece. Right. So assuming, assuming you've selected that advisor, you'll have a discovery conversation with that person and um, about what your needs actually are. Once they have a good understanding of what those needs are, you know, budget layout location, um, very, you know, very basic questions that I, that I think you're, you're becoming more familiar with the process as you, as you go through, um, the stuff with blacksmith too, but effectively that, that broker, um, you know, depending on their, on their, uh, on their market knowledge, they might be able to pop out with a few bases off the top of their head, but for the most part, they're going to the 100-pound gorilla in commercial real estate technology, which is CoStar. Um, effectively, um, they, you know, that's like the MLS for commercial. Um, and they are putting in those basic search constraints, taking that list, and ultimately – um, probably getting the system on their administrative team to help them put it in the format uh, uh, it's in itself in, in what's called a survey. And that, like, here, the basically taking a list of 50 that are in the financial district and pairing them down to 10 to 15 that may or may not work based on that discovery conversation. Can we, can, uh, can you give me a little room in between these steps so that I can ask you to expand a little bit on some of the things that I'm curious about? Yep. Um, Um, So there's a whole topic I want to try to circle back to. So if I forget and you don't forget, that'd be great. But the like broker selection process to me is absolutely fascinating. I'd love to maybe hear some stories about what you've seen there, but before Actually, let's go there now, since that is kind of like the earliest part of the process. I'll try to keep us marching down some kind of path in order. So yeah, what? Uh, I guess let's riff on that a little bit. So back to my example of 
I'm going to need some space for my team to sit down and go to work. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you think that today's uh, either founder or people operations person or CFO, where do they start? Like if they are not, like I know where I would start because there's 25 guys in Boston that are my age that played college hockey that are white dudes that, you know, I'm like one text message away from at least having a conversation with. Not yeah. to mention that I know you, yeah. you would, it would be you, but um, for people that don't have that, where do they start? I think, um, and I, I, you know, I think about it. If I put myself in the entrepreneur seat and I, you know, it's to me, it's sort of like, I, I want to go buy a place. Um, so I think inevitably they start with their network Um that's investors, that's, they might, they might ask their lawyer. Um, they might, and, and they, the other thing they do is they might ask their peers um, or someone, you know, a friend they have that runs another company that has peers. Um, so I think that's how it starts. It, like that's how the flag gets rolled up. It's like, Hey, we're starting to think about getting space. Who, who would you recommend? Um, like I, I have relationships with VCs that have a list of like, you know, two to five people that they'll recommend to their portfolio companies. And as a broker, you just want to be one of those two to five people. Um, it's not, it's not typically something that an investor, uh, or, um, you know, like, like advisor to the company that I don't think they really want to expend a lot of political capital on that. So they, they won't necessarily be like, oh, you should use this guy because it, it sort of it sort of disperses the risk, and you let those people figure it out with with a, a list of qualified people. So, like, if you go through the resources page um, for a lot of earlier stage um, investors in town, they'll actually have like that list of service providers that they would recommend. Um, and that, that, that includes, you know, people that can help you find space. It's like law firms, accounting. Um, cause I, cause I think real estate brokers are on that, that sort of initial list of, uh, service providers that you're going to have to interact with pretty, pretty quickly as you start your business. Greens, I'm going to ha- I have one request for you. Do yeah. you have any way to, um, clip your microphone so that it is stationary i am it's i'm talking through my computer right now what about is it oh, so you are um you're getting like a muffled every couple seconds it goes like it sounds like you're underwater just briefly is that it's not hard i might just be i might just be moving okay you got a little bobblehead going there potentially Okay. So, uh, let's get right into, right back into it. So, uh, from your seat, you need to be a part of that early conversation, that two, three, four people that are going to get an at bat. Yeah. Is that That's- process open? Right. Is that an open process where like, uh, a founder says to you, you know, I'm looking at, I'm, 
just so you know, I'm also talking to Bobby Jangro and T3 and, you know, Jeff Landers. Like, is it ever like that or? So the, the, one of the mistakes that I see entrepreneurs make, particularly early on, is they'll, they'll uh, treat that list as if, and they'll be agnostic on, so they'll lean on Bobby Jangrel, they'll lean on me or whoever it is, like a list of two or three people, and ultimately make it seem like they're working with that person, which is kind of consistent with how you would go and find an apartment. So it makes sense. Um, but right away, that, that's a mistake. You should just work with one broker, um, the, you know, someone that you trust and you, you like because you're going to be spending some time with them and you need to be able to text them and call them at weird hours to like figure stuff out for you. Um, the, the beauty of like exclusivity in Boston is that it's, you know, like I, I basically work on a handshake um, and it's like if, you know, I all I have my, is my time at the end of the day and I want to work with you. Uh, but I, I am working with one broker is the right thing to do, whether it's me or somebody else. Um, so a lot of times that, that there's a little bit of education about that up front. Like I've met with people that have already gone out and looked at space. And um, for whatever reason, they might come to me and it's like, well, you know, do you still want to work with that person? Cause I, you know, that's, I'm that I'm sort of stepping on their toes and you should, you don't have to like tell them that you're no longer working with them. But like, I would like some commitment from you verbally that we're going to be working exclusively together. Um, Cause that basically working with multiple brokers confuses the marketplace and it, it actually, it depreciates, um, it depreciates the, the tenants requirement a little bit. And I, I guess like the market will, will read someone running around with a bunch of brokers as somebody that's not organized and um, not really, not really finding their space in a mature way, like the way a, a bigger company established company would go out and find space. Got it. That's interesting. Um, so like I've said that, I've said that in the past that the line about like, whether it's me or somebody else, you should work with one, uh, you, you should work with one broker and not got the business because of it. Whereas other brokers would be like, you know what, I'll just take, I'll spend some time on this and try to try to find them the right space. Um, and I just, you know, very rarely will I, will I go after a jump ball like that. That feels right to me. I mean, I think it's, there's some human stuff in there that, you know, I think it says a lot about how people act in that situation. I think it's pretty telling. Uh, I agree. I also, th I also think like put yourself in the entrepreneur's position. Like if you're a 10 person company and you're a CEO and a founder, like um, you don't need to be managing phone calls and text messages and emails from three different brokers who are all trying to show you the same space, you know, like at the end of the day, there is a, a central listing database that we all, you know, effectively have access to. So it's really just about how you, how, um, how much you trust the information you're getting from that one person. For the most part, it's all going to be the same information. 
Um, so there's, there is a, I, I think an experience for like, they almost overcomplicate the search at times. Is it pretty, I know it probably depends on the size of the tenant. Um, I was going to ask like, like their selection process is that formal or is it pretty informal where it's like you have three conversations and at the end of the third, you say to somebody like, Hey, it feels like we got some jam going here. Um, you know, are your intentions to work with me exclusively on this project? Like, is there a formal? Yeah, it's, there's definitely a size inflection point where, you know, like I think the average tenant size in Boston or maybe it's the, the mean tenant size in Boston. It's like seven to nine thousand. So there's there there's still there's still a lot of competition around it surrounding those deals. Um, and so think about think about three years from now, and for whatever reason, Blacksmith is a sixty person company. Every person you know in the business is going to be trying to get your business as they should. Um, the right thing for you to do is to like run a process where you interview three to five brokers probably. Um, so, and that's, that's more of a grown up thing. I, I think, uh, you know, a, a company that you've got a 10 person company that just got a slug of, of venture money will still meet or talk to two to four people if they don't really have like a strong relationship. Um, just because I think that's what they do with their other vendors. Like they already have a lawyer, they already have an accountant. Um, you know, when they're trying to figure out who to take money from, they have they take as many meetings as they can. Um, and I, unless there's like a very compelling, like this was my roommate from college, we're going to use him. Generally, I, I think it makes sense to talk to more than one person. I guess uh, that's that. That is also interesting to me. If you were co- like coaching, if you were no longer a commercial real estate broker, and we were going to go look for space for a sixty-person team, how would you advise us to run that interview? Like, what are we looking for? I think it's. I think it's a combination of. Um, you know, I think you want those teams to come into those conversations with a with with a little bit of understanding what's going on with your business. Like if you're looking for space for 60 people, chances are you're not 60 people right now. Um, so to understand your ramp up um, and, you know, capital constraints, like when do you, how, how much runway do you have? Because um, it doesn't really make sense for a, a growth company to do a 10 year, it doesn't make sense at all to do a 10 year lease. So I think you want somebody that has an understanding of like business drivers. Um, and then you ask them to come in and talk about the market um, and then their capabilities and, uh, and also give you like some references of people um, that they've worked with that, uh, you know, generally when, when we're pitching business or when I pitch business in the past, like, the best case scenario is you have three clients that are 
um, that you've done business for that those people know. Because um, you can just be like, call him. Go talk to him about the experience. And everybody's got their angle. Um, and it, it just, it becomes about like, who's most compelling at the end of the day, like whose style do you like? Um, and who do you genuinely believe when they're, when they're advising you on the market, you know? Um, do you know, I guess, if you were to put like your big brokerage house hat on, if you know that they're running like a formal or a more formal interview process, don't you guys and gals all know each other's playbook going in? Yeah, to a certain extent. Like, don't you know, like, what Cress is going to pitch? Don't you know what Cushman's going to say? Don't you know what Newmark's going to say? You know what T3 is going to say? Yeah. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it might not, it might not matter because there's, there's definitely – um, I think more so than other service providers, like there's a, there's a level of like interpersonal trust that is implicit in the ultimate decision. There's some feel there, right? Yeah, I think so. It's like a human thing. Like what, what you're saying to me, when you say words, like you want to make sure your style is compatible, there's got to be like a compelling feeling that this is the right group that you want to work with. Like none of that yeah. is really quantitative. Like at the no. end of the day, whoever no. you select, everyone everyone has access to the same spaces. So it feels like there's got to be some kind of, you know, without getting like too soft here, um, like some kind of connection, right? That's that in the majority of the business that I've won, that's been uh, part of it. I've also been going through like formal RFQ um processes where out of the group you're like talk to us about your fee rebate um which is something that all things equal can sometimes win brokerage firms the business and what that means is somebody's asking you to give some of your commission back that's right that's fucking crazy. Okay. Yeah, a, a majority of, I mean, a, a majority of, um, like if you're if you're at a bigger shop, and you're pitching, like, I don't know. Take for example, like, we're gonna give you Cushman Wakefield all of Amazon's New England territory work. Propose a fee agreement implied in that so they might they might meet with five people they'll have their horse that they think has all the capabilities that they need and then it's and then they'll basically take the um the most aggressive person on the fee proposal and be like hey someone said they're going to do it for this can you do it for this um that sucks to hear that's like a race to the bottom right yeah it's a it's a Fee, fee, uh, fee share is like cannibalism. It's brokerage. If we can, if we can go like soft transition to, so post-selection you've been selected. I'm curious to hear in the, 
that first discovery call or your first couple engagements, um, other than like the table stakes, real vanilla shit that you're asking about, like uh, people today, people in two years, people in five years, you know, headcount projection, um, you know, what you're looking to spend, where you want to be. Is there anything else like sneaky that you're listening for that could be really helpful that like maybe the tenant doesn't even know is helpful? Hmm. I guess I don't really understand what you mean. Yeah, I'm not sure I do either. I think I I outthought myself a little bit there. Well, um, I, think, I I mean, a, another thing is like, and this bumps into your world is a lot of, I mean, if you're not going to sign a five, seven, 10 year lease, ideally you're going into a place that, you're minimizing your day one capital expenses. So a lot of conversations with early stage companies, they'll, they'll be sensitive to stroking a check for 100 and 200 K. They're only going to be there for 18, 36 months, you know? Um, so right away that pairs down the, um, that pairs down the, the, the search. It, it basically, it, it, it limits the universe of spaces that could actually work for the, for these people, for these groups. Um, so like, you know, when I was at T3 and we were working with old stage companies a lot, you kind of, you kind of, when you're having these conversations, you can kind of do that five to six person or five to six building first tour off the top of your head. It's like, you should definitely go look at this sublease. Let's talk to work. We work about your, you know, like an enterprise solution. Um, you know, like if you connected with Notel, that could be a good solution. There, it depending on on like the <clears throat> the capitalization of the company. Um, pretty quickly, you can demonstrate like market knowledge and, and add value. Like, well, you guys have been out in the market, but have you looked at this? Like, that's to me, that's like a very powerful thing. Is sort of backhandedly throwing their their incumbent um, advisor under the bus without negative selling, you know, cause it's their job to show everything, show everything to their client that could work. Mm-hmm. Um, shame on, shame on them if they have. Got it. So, um, I guess like to me, unless you disagree, like, uh, looking at space, like, I feel like the, the meat of a potential conversation here with like an eyeball on the clock, would be when you start to get around to like shortlisting, like you have a couple of solutions that might work. And in 2020, that might be no tell versus a, a sublease versus a direct lease. Like you get into some sort of a short list, right? Yeah. Do you think I skipped too far ahead there? But what I guess what I'm trying to avoid is having putting you to sleep with like, yeah, then we pull a list from CoStar and then we go see 25 places and then we do this and then we do that. Like, I guess yeah. some of the more interesting, like in the weeds deal stuff, where do you think we should go next? Well, I think, I think, you know, not to gloss over the, the. Yeah. I don't physical. mean to do that. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, I think not to gloss over the physical tours. Um, you know, that, that, process can can be very quick um and that's something we're trying to expedite at trust with the virtual reality course like ideally they could tour 
the best six options in virtual reality. Um, but depending on, on the group and the level of trust they have in you, which is goes back to like this interpersonal working, um, you know, like I've worked with people and we saw everything that could actually really work for them on the first tour. And we've gone on three additional tours while we're negotiating on three buildings from that first day. Um, and those, those additional tours really are, are there to address uh, the, the, the client's needs for market context. And really it's just about like fear of missing out. So the, where that takes, where that takes you is like, you go to like the C-level presentation and it's like, we looked at 15 to 20 buildings. We narrowed it down to five. Uh, we're negotiating with three and then we signed a letter of intent at, at one of them. That, that top of funnel, like here's the finite or here are the buildings that you looked at um, varies greatly depending on um, the style and level of trust between the company and their broker. Perfect example. I'm just going to mention HQO every time we talk. Okay. HQ, HQO looked at like three, no, four spaces. And then they ultimately took space that they toured in virtual reality. Um, that was quick. Particularly given the size of the company. The, the FOMO thing is really interesting and something that we see um, on especially our more recent projects, like as we take people through the buying process to furnish their office, um, you'll get this list of criteria that says, you know, February 1st is when we write our first check. So we want to be in in three weeks. We want to spend this much money. Um, we like these handful of manufacturers and they don't mention certain things. I think this is what I was trying to get at earlier. Like, you know, you start to hear different things or maybe you expect based on what they tell you, you can sort of guess what they're going to do that will be outside of what they actually say. Like yeah. we've gotten to the end of the process with people who never mention um, budget. And then when it comes time to, you present them with the final solution that you could literally draw lines to everything that they've told you matching one piece of criteria from the recommendation you make and that you get towards the finish line and it's like, what about renting furniture? And they're like, yeah. sure, let's look at it. It's like people, I think FOMO is perfect. Like they don't want, they want to like get it's a FOMO. rep with everything. It's FOMO and it's cover your ass. In case yeah, somebody I, says you're going to spend yeah. 75 grand on furniture, to, what's what does it cost to rent? Yeah, what does it cost to rent? Or like, couldn't we just do this at IKEA? And uh, yeah, I and I that's that's twofold, man. That's an experience with the process, I think, right? And it's also um, symptomatic of like the problem you're going at is a large problem. Because there's just it's like it's like buying a car. Yeah, I think what I, the way I, I don't mean to cut you off. I, I, no, it's, it's like we've seen it so recently that it's like top of mind for me really heavily. I think one option to deal with it 
is to know that it's going to happen and allow it to happen, knowing that you're probably going to come back to what's right. And it feels like almost exactly parallel to with what, what you said. And the thing that sort of sucks is it's a distraction and it's added time when you, you as a broker who's been doing it for 12 years, um, sort of know where they're going to end up, but you kind of have to let people wander a bit. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's um, like it shouldn't be surprising or piss you off if like that is in human DNA and it happens on two out of three deals. Like, right. You can literally thread the. You just said it. You can thread the needle and um, and be ready to take somebody's credit card information, but it doesn't mean they need to. They don't need to go look, touch, and feel something in another aisle just to, to understand like what that, what that spend is in the context of like the greater world. Um, Yeah, man, that's, that's really, um, it's something that, that we've seen a lot recently. It's really, really fascinating. So I guess continue to chase down the angle that you're going to. So we got basically down to the funnel of like signing an LOI Um, and then, you know, you go look at a couple other places just to populate some kind of context about the market, you know, and then what? Um, yeah, I I mean, particularly since I've been at trust, the timetables have been compressed, right? Because the people are, are generally, um, not ahead of the ball. So like when we've worked with you guys, you've definitely not had enough runway, um, which is okay. And that's why you exist, but Ideally, like before we sign that letter of intent, you have, uh, depending on the scope of the, of the project, like somebody like Blacksmith or an architect or, or whoever it is, getting a, getting a sense for the three buildings um, that are on that short list too, because it, so they can start thinking about associated timetables uh, with getting butts and seats in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm sure uh, you'd always like to be in earlier, right? Yeah, I think I think there's like a sweet spot for us, for sure, timing-wise. And I think that um, what we're learning, I think, is that maybe even more important is qualifying for the right people who may want to do it the way that we do it. Yeah. Uh, Because there's a reason why, you know, being in this space or adjacent to this space, I should know the real numbers, but the furniture industry, commercial office furniture industry is fucking massive. There's a reason for it because people have been, people are well served at a certain size by using the players in the traditional ecosystem, but there are some of these like outlier niche cases that we're trying to go after that don't fit in so well. So it's, it's timing and it's like making sure it's the right person. Like there's, um, you know, a project that you try to include us on. Like I probably should have known right away that they were going to be, they were going to be really well served by, um, you know, a traditional furniture dealer with a fancy showroom, you know? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so yeah there's, there's a there's a timing thing for sure but i think it's like it's a it's a it's a listening your- and a qualification thing like it's you need to at this stage it's hard for us because uh everything looks like a good opportunity but even at this stage like you only have so much time to chase down the right stuff so like getting involved in a project that you can't be really freaking helpful is just a waste of time. Yeah. Um, um, that's, that's, part, that's part of calibrating your, your sort of purchasing personas too. better off than you were 30 days ago on that front. Yeah. It gets a little better with every deal. And like, you also get to see the patterns of the way that people want to buy so that we can start to just, have our process match that instead of trying to jam people into something that works well for us. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to, um, I don't have a, a, a whole heap of time today, but if we have like mm-hmm. 10 more minutes, uh, selfishly, I wanted to, it, it sort of fits with where we're going with talking about, um, like getting architects and other folks involved early in the process. But a question that I sent you earlier that I don't know if you considered was um, thinking about how vendors try to work with brokers. Like my guess is that you get emails and calls every week from furniture people, from IT people, from maybe from movers, maybe not from movers, but interior design people like, what does that whole world look like from the broker's seat? Yeah, I, um, I definitely get a bunch of, of inbound stuff. Um, and there are people that are definitely better at it, to your question. Um, and I think this is actually, there's some parallels to, um, there's some parallels to, what we were talking about last time relate, you know, relative to like how I'm trying to add value to a VC who mm-hmm. really, who really can add more value for me. Uh, and it like the, the people I've found that are, are good at it. They know that they're down, they're down the line on this transaction the, the transaction that's front of mind, what they're really good at is creating an ecosystem of, of like their own evangelists, um, people that have worked with them in the past and developing really good relationships with them to the point where they can, um, you know, like facilitate events or like invite you to a game where you're meeting somebody that doesn't have a need, um, but actually getting to know them because there's nothing like that in the way, you know? Um, and that's a really organic way to, to create value for somebody like me, who's going to be a lot of times the first point of contact with your potential client. Yeah. The interesting thing that, um, that I referenced in the email was the broker I was talking to in Philly yesterday. I, I hadn't considered it, but he's like, yeah, the brokers are like great sources of referrals for everybody else, but none of those same people can refer deals like back to us because yeah. you guys are, you guys are in first. So that like incentive thing feels like it's out of balance. Yeah. But- in other words, like you can kick me 
I'm curious to see where you take that. Yeah, I think, you know, there are some brokers that might want a referral fee. I think we talked about this early on, like the referral fee for me is like, just do a good job, you know, just, and just like do right by my client. And then um, I'm happy, like just to be, just to like be able to refer something and not have to worry about it is, is value enough for me. Other people might look at that differently. Um, where I think that you can add value is, you know, somebody that thinks like me might also value having a drink with somebody that literally just closed a deal and used somebody else, but just meeting that person in a way that's not, um, it's not forced and it's organic. Like just that, that touch point is valuable. And I think that's, um, that's one way you can add value. I think. Yeah. I hadn't really considered that. And that's, I think that's like every line of business you could possibly think of, right? Like the first time you speak to somebody, they're not going to be standing there with their wallet open, ready to give you money. Right. It's like maybe at some point in the next five years, they're going to need what you can do. And it's like a real puzzle to solve to figure out how you can, like, I like when you say hang around the net, like how you can be available and open without like the horrible monthly just checking in like touch points, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely not easy. I, I, it's something that I've, I've struggled with to try to figure out like, um, how to, how to stay relevant with people that there's a, there's an imbalance on, on helpfulness. Um, I don't know. I don't have a great, I don't have a great solution, but. I don't either. It's something I like wrestle with every day. You just need to be known and needed. That's one of my bosses from Cushman. Yeah. That, those are those are good words to keep in mind. <laughs> be known and hopefully needed. <laughs> Maybe needed. Yeah. Uh, what do you think we can sneak in sneak in in a in a couple minutes here? Anything we talk about you want to circle back to or add anything or do you want to um, you've mentioned trust a couple of times. Do you want to, uh, do a little taxi cab pitch on what trust does, or is that just yeah. the goofiest yeah. thing I've ever suggested? I mean, it's, the, it's a goofy thing, but it's also like a split screen of what's going, you know, how I would have asked for the order at <laughs> <laughs> got to ask for the order. You have to, you got to do it. Um, what I would have done after being engaged with the client at T3 or Cushman and that split screen at trust is very different because we've already given that a little bit. Um, and just, you know, really quick, trust is an online marketplace for co-working and, and office space um, where people can log in and literally answer the questions that I mentioned and that are you know, a lot of times taking place in a discovery call or discovery coffee. 
Um, and that deliverable that might take, you know, two to three days with a traditional brokerage is instantaneously popped up on your computer. And you haven't had to talk to anybody, um, which is really cool. And it doesn't exist surprisingly with, with price transparency and virtual reality tours and um, the ability to book tours. Um, and it's been, a, it's been an adjustment for me. Um, just because it, you like that whole front end of the process is, is looks very differently. So in, instead of like developing over six, 12, 18 months as I'm pursuing a client or a potential client, I am showing up in the middle of the conversation and trying to develop trust very quickly. Um, it is, it is very different. It feels like you're, yeah, you're giving stuff. You're, yeah, the deliverable, you're just kind of compressing that front end. And it also, I think, is going to really match nicely with the way that most folks are going to want to buy in the next five years and then beyond. Yeah, that's, like, <laughs> that's the hope. Yeah, like I, thinking about, I would get, I do this all the time. Like I know that I can get a better cup of cold brew at red eye roasters in Hingham, but I have to go in and I have to order it and I have to stand there and wait, or I can pump in my order on the Starbucks app, walk in and pick it up. And if I don't feel like talking to anybody, I don't have to. It's just like, feels like the way that most things are going. I know that real estate is a slightly different purchase than a, a fucking cold brew but it's like most transactions are sliding towards less of that kind of white glove front end sales thing it's like listen all of the information that i'd ever need is out there somewhere on the internet just connect me to the right information for me and let me like get started down the path yeah yeah it goes it i think blacksmith falls in this bucket too it goes back to the cabs ikea thing where part of the beauty part of the beauty of ikea is ironically like people take a lot of pride in stuff that they put together themselves um user assembled i think is is how he he phrases it Um, yeah that's something that he really likes yeah um and it's something that you know, I can see I can see the behavior of people when they log in and they'll put in a certain constraint or their you know their list of constraints, and then we can see we can also see like how those constraints based on what they see, um, they might they might edit those constraints. Sometimes it's they're just doing it to like get a sense for the functionality of the site, um, and I think they're like if they find stuff that they like on that list, I think there's some, it adds to the excitement and it adds to like um, the user experience. It's like, wow, I just found this really cool space and toured it. Like I, I want to go see this in person. Yeah, man. Maybe. I think that's great. I think it's, I think that's right. I mean, you're giving people the tools to like generate their own search. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got to get ready to jump here, buddy. Yeah. Do you, buddy? We're at 
47 minutes. I think we got another good chunk there. I think the sound quality here is going to be like very average, very average. I'll go back and listen to uh, just some sections of it and see what we come up with. But I think that there's some really good stuff there in um, even if you got nothing out of this, except for how to select a broker. Like, I think that's a big deal. It's a big decision. So I think we, I think we gave some good sauce there. Yeah. I agree, bud. Okay, let's tee it up again next week. Uh, Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Bye.